Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. So we'll all take a deep breath and release it out your mouth, Gil. Release the breath out your mouth. (laughs) So hello, friends, and uh, welcome to our first podcast uh, with some people that I traveled on the Camino with last month. And we're going to have a few interviews with people, but these are the crazy people that I grew up with. Jeff Gill, who I will probably call Gill during this whole conversation, is uh, a year ahead of Toma and I, grade-wise. I don't know about age-wise. He might be 10 years older. He was kind of slow in school. Um, (laughs) Toma who's David Toma, who I'll probably call Toma through this whole thing, has a birthday one day before mine, but he was born in 1958. I was born in 1959. We were the same grade. I was gifted. He was not. Where he was gifted was that I believe in 1984, he married Kathy. Is that correct? At 1984? So Kathy Toma, who uh, I'll call Kathy, which is interesting. It's a nice thing to call her. So um, Gil was the one who was just out with whoever till four or five in the morning, pretty much every night in college. Toma was the one who uh, you could often find him sleeping in the front yard of the fraternity house. (laughs) I spent most of my time two blocks away from our house in uh, the library. Mm. I'm going to let Toma start the conversation first, and then I'll chime in with what we may need to slightly clarify about Conway's comments of college. Perfect. (laughs) You mean the part that not one bit of it's true? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Other than that, you, you were out till four in the morning, but I think it was in your architecture studio. So, okay, fine. <laughs> you didn't know where the library was. <laughs> I'd heard of it. <laughs> you walked past it. I fair okay, enough. Okay. What in was time. the name of the library? I was. I. It didn't say what the name of it was from the inside, which is where I was. <laughs> Tom and Gil and I have had a friendship for 45 years and we've heard about Kathy for 45 years and I don't know when we met and I don't know anyway, we've been friends uh, for a long time. I had the crazy idea uh, when I got back from the Camino in 17, I saw a documentary, I'll Push You, which is uh, a friend pushing another friend all 500 miles of the French way. And I watched that. And I think, Toma, you were the first one that might have called and said, hey, I've got this great idea for you. 
you and Gil should push me all 500 miles of the Camino. I just saw this documentary. It was really great. And uh, so my very good, loving, great friend, do you remember actually, Toma, what you said to me? Was it something like, you're an idiot, they're young people? It didn't happen until after I read the book. And then I said, you said, here, read the, actually you handed me the book when we were in Pennsylvania in your office. Okay. Here, read this. And after I read the book, I think is when you probably asked. And then I said, they were in their 30s and it nearly killed them. <laughs> we're in our 60s. Right. So soon after that, um, Justin and Patrick started putting together accessibility trips, which were just the last 100 kilometers, I need to say. I always say 100 miles, but it's, it was the last 110 kilometers or, or something like that. So what was this Camino experience like for you all? Was it like what you thought it was going to be or something different? I think out of all of you, I was the least prepared only because of uh, so many things going on in my life. I couldn't, didn't really have time to, to sit on Zoom calls and participate. I knew what it was. I, I, I knew all of that. But the way I looked at it was, you three know what I need to do. So I'm just going with it. And which was great because in some ways I walked in there without any preconceived ideas. So everything was new and raw. And, and what I have told people, and it's still really emotional to talk about it, is your, your trek on the Camino, there, there's no closets, there's no bubbles, there's no boxes, you don't bring anything with you. And, and I walked away from it saying, I don't think there is anything else that could be more life-changing than this experience. Mm. I mean, not that I hadn't ever been around, had to push a wheelchair or walk long distance. I mean, it wasn't that type of thing. It was the fact that you were able to let go of all that stuff that we carry around with us all the time, whether it's work, personal life, whatever it is, positive, negative. And you were out there on your own with this brand new experience. And I think that in itself is probably the life-changing fact for really anyone who accepts what this is about and they walk into it with an open mind and, and just experience everything. When I think about how did it change you or what were your expectations? When I went in to the trip, I didn't feel like I had any huge expectations of what exactly was going to happen. Why was I going on this journey? I was going for a few reasons. One, it's a journey I've wanted to do since the early 80s. And the other is, you asked me, Jeff. Well, no, I asked you, sorry. <laughs> I had to be part of this, having wanted to have done it for so long to complete the trifecta of the three great pilgrimage, Christian pilgrimages of Jerusalem, Rome, and uh, Santiago de Compostela. And I knew that that was something I wanted. And you lovingly said, sure, you can be part of the team. Well, so I didn't go on with any great expectations. I knew it was going to be fabulous, but what it was there for and what I was going to learn, I didn't have any ideas. Some people know exactly why they're going before they go. Some people find out halfway through. Some people not till the end. 
Some people don't for days, weeks, months, years. <laughs> and finally it clicks. But there was a moment um, that was profoundly um, beautiful for me. And that was on the last day at Montegoza. That's the Hill of Joy. And that was the day that I had asked previously in the week, would Jeff Conway and Gil and Toma slip away with me for a few minutes to celebrate the lives of my parents? I lost my dad in February and my mom died while I was on this trip. So I had brought ashes and I had brought a lock of my mother's hair and Patrick had heard wind of it and came and he said, do you want this just to be you guys? Or do you want it to be the whole group? And I said, well, the whole group didn't know my parents. So I was just thinking of us. He said, well, whatever. And I said, they don't really know them. So I, I don't know if that would matter to them. And he says, wait a minute, we have become family this week and they will do whatever you want. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. So we sat and they had no idea what was gonna happen. And we sat on that beautiful green hillside and there's Jeff Conway in the middle. And he had a memorial service for my parents and celebrated their lives. And I couldn't have um, had a better experience in my life than that. It, mm -hmm. it was what I found on the last day of the journey. And it changed everything for me. And I was really lifted to be filled with joy even though I had lost both my parents at such a close time together, it was liberating, as, as Gil says, it was liberating, things were lifted off you. You didn't have, I didn't feel that grief and that sadness of processing it for the entire month that I had been on this journey. That was um, very profound, but equally as profound was I learned that that moment was not just about me and my mom and dad. It was for the people who were weeping in our group to find that one woman had lost her father during COVID and hadn't been able to have a service for him. Another woman was grieving the loss of her son five years previously, who was killed in a tragic automobile accident. And just the last three years of this pent up challenge and grief and, and issues that we've dealt with through COVID, just, they were just lifted up. And, and it was a really, a moment where we were all together in this beautiful unity. And mm. Conway was right at the helm of it, being this gentle leader for people who were faith-based, who had, had no prescribed faith they followed. It didn't matter because we were there together and it was so incredibly beautiful so again jeff i can't tell you thank you enough for that well yeah i mean i was all ready for it to be the five of us and when it all of a sudden turned into everybody i thought oh no i have to be a pastor again um and remember what i'm doing and um I did slaughter John 14 a little bit. I don't know if you realized that, but um, I used to have that perfectly memorized, but uh, it didn't matter because it was what you're talking about. Uh, uh, everybody was kind of circled around me. When you're talking about this mountain, it's right before going into Santiago. Uh, 
So even though the cathedral's quite a ways in the distance, you can see it. So they were all facing the cathedral and I was facing you and just seeing the emotion on everybody's faces. I don't know everybody's story of what they were being hit with at that moment, but it was uh, an honor and such a gift for me to be able to do that because I don't do that anymore. So yeah, that was, that was lovely, lovely. And I have seen you preach once before, but uh, that moment, it was a pretty good reminder that you were uh, pretty good at your job. Uh, you're sweet, though. I love that service that you were there when I was preaching because I made you come forward and you didn't know why. And that's when my arms were moving out of control and my legs would move out of control at times. And Toma's making fun of me on the Zoom call, everybody right now, flicking his arm all over the place. But I had him, Toma, the PK, the preacher's kid, raise his hand. Did you do the benediction or did I do the benediction at that service? You did. I did it, but you raised your hand. So my hand wasn't flying all over the place like you're doing right now, making fun of me. So <laughs> that was beautiful. I love that. I love leaning into you. I love, yeah, yeah. And we can talk about another moment that I leaned into you on the Camino in a little bit, but but your, your big takeaway from the Camino would be what, Toma? I think the only real expectation I went in with was that it would be a lot easier than doing 500 miles. And, and that was true. <laughs> and, you know, and all the people going, Oh, well, you know, it's going to be so hard and, and uh, you know, Hills with a, with the wheelchair and everything. And you've got, you know, you, on the toughest Hills, you've got five people pushing a chair and I don't feel like I'm pushing or I don't feel like I'm pulling or I was like, and I think I've been in all the different places on the side of the chair and front and behind and, it's like, I'm not even doing any work here. Who's doing all the work getting the chair up the hill? Uh, the thing that you and I said the other day, uh, you brought it up, was I, I don't know what anybody's politics from that group. I don't know what their politics are. And that was just a joy is that just never came up. And, and so it was, um, it, it's so weird to say Disneyland because there's nothing Disneyland about it other than you're kind of removed from uh, Jeff Gill. You were saying that um, you, you leave all of that other stuff behind and you're just there and you're in that moment with those people. And it was an incredibly beautiful time. And I would bet any amount of money that if you called up, every single person on that trip and, and said, you know, we can just blink our eyes and we will wake up in Lugo or Santiago and we're going to go do 13 miles on the trail. Who's in every single person would say yes, mm. but it was, it was a time of just being present there doing that and nothing else mattered. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I think on one of my late night, short podcast from Spain. Uh, so just for everybody, I planned on doing podcasts every day with different folks and doing these kind of conversations. And I'm so glad I lost my phone because um, this is so much better. Uh, it would have interrupted our experience to have had these 
conversations when we were on the trail. But so I was in the room uh, by myself and um, spoke late one night and talked about holiness and what holiness means. And holiness is to be set apart. Um, And I talked a little bit about, you know, people using the term, oh, you're holier than thou, or you're acting holier than thou, uh, which is not used as a compliment or a way to lift somebody up. Uh, But there's a truth about that holiness and being set apart. And uh, I think that was the great experience for me that, Um, not just set apart from politics, from daily stuff, from work, which I don't do anymore, but um, it's a place that's holy. And I believe it's holy having experienced Jerusalem and Rome and other places. And I tell people it smells like God and they think I'm a little crazy. But um, so I say, Jerusalem smells like God. And they say, what does God smell like? And I say, Jerusalem. So um, so it's a circular uh, question answer thing that, that goes on there. But, but I guess what I mean is it's just a place that's set apart. And the Camino has been 1,200 years of people walking that path towards Santiago. Uh, for the purpose of being set apart uh, and walking in that holiness, um, which that part for me is um, what was so beautiful. And I guess I'll go ahead and continue to be serious here. I I cried so many times uh, on the Camino and not because of pain. I was so worried about the pain, so worried that I wouldn't be able to nap No, I cried so many times because you guys would push me into a church and leave me up by the altar. And there was just this continued sense of being set apart from my daily life of uh, pain and no longer swallowing properly and no longer seeing properly and all the things that are going on. It was just kind of for me, that's the part that was let go. And I just felt like I was in the presence of great friends. I was in the presence of new friends. I was in the presence of God. Um, and I was set apart on the trail. Um, and I was set apart also because some of the places you guys parked me when I was sleeping were a bit rude. Want to turn it to being less than serious? A couple times in the church, we tried to leave you there, but but. <laughs> well, I'm just remembering the day that I woke up and I was facing a parking lot with some cars in it, and I kind of started looking around, and you guys were all having lunch in some cafe behind me. So yeah, let's talk about um, two very specific moments of intimacy. First was Gil and I were roommates. And um, so we had the twin beds, they called it, a twin room versus Kathy and David having the double room. And um, I had written uh, to Patrick and Justin on the public thing. I don't know if you guys saw this, but I, I wrote because I looked up the hotels and one of them had the romantic package. 
<laughs> which was, um, you know, had rose petals on the bed and had a lovely view and had a big old pile of chocolates in the picture. So I wrote that I want Gil and I to have the romantic package, please. Um, I don't need the romance. Um, the view would be nice, but I don't need it. I just want the big pile of chocolate in the picture. So Gil and I walk into our room that was not overly handicap accessible. Truthfully, it was so small, uh, but the two twin beds were totally mashed together. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, what did you think, Gil? I didn't even think I just went, oh, okay. <laughs> and we both kind of passed out in the bed where I heard that other people, you know, pulled their beds as far apart as they could that were in those twin beds. But that just wasn't an issue for us. We had been roommates for so long in college. It just didn't matter to me other than I felt bad. I know I kicked you one night, even though you say you didn't feel it. Yeah. So that's a moment of intimacy. So how is that for you, Gil? Well, I mean, I'm still a little myth. You did promise me the honeymoon suite and, <laughs> and I will never forgive you for that, but I will get over it at some point. I just won't forget. All right. We deserve those chocolates. <laughs> Which you got throughout the week, didn't you? I did because of Kathy. Yes. Yes. So I, I was, I was fine. The, I mean, the beds are beds, whatever. I'm, I'm really, I think that it was perfectly fine, but no, I, I, I thought what was interesting. And I don't know. I mean, we've all raised kids, but I got into a routine of, for instance, in the morning, getting up first, getting ready, then getting you up, getting you situated. You're in the shower. I'm getting other stuff ready, you know, getting you downstairs, you know, um, geez, in Santiago, it was getting you in the tiny little elevator and then oh, running down the stairs to get you at the other end. And, and so that was, that was part of the trek in itself and part of the emotional experience. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, interestingly, as, as the week moved on, um, when you slept at night, you were more serene. Oh, and that could have just been moving through this whole week and what it meant. Yeah. And, um, and then we had some amazing talks. I don't know if you remember, but late at night lights are <laughs> out and, and it's like, you know, we're a foot, two feet away from each other and just talking about anything. Yep. It was awesome. No, it wasn't. We weren't rehashing the old days of college. <laughs> we were talking like we talked in college when we were roommates. Um, just across the room, kind of chatting with each other. And I know I had a lot of medicine in me at that point. And I remember struggling to finish sentences and just falling asleep on you, uh, which you probably appreciated because you were really tired yourself, I'm sure. There was one time you were talking and um, next thing I knew it was morning. So it the falling asleep went both ways. <laughs> <laughs> so the other moment of intimacy that I particularly remember was Kathy taking a picture of Toma and I as we, we were checking out the local flora and right. <laughs> so Kathy has a picture of Toma holding me up 
um, cause I'd been squished in the chair so long, uh, that my bladder, you know, was kind of a champion bladder. I filled almost an entire portable urinal. I think, I think we rated it at like about a 7.8. Yeah, it was really good. I did a good job. So, so it does look like a sweet picture from behind, but when you realize what's happening in the picture, it was, you know, everything was stopped because I'd been bent in that chair for so long. And Toma first started whispering in my ear, river, waterfall. What else did you say? Cascade. Ocean waves. Yeah. Well, then he finally got to the noise and just started going in my ear. I go, oh, keep doing that. Keep doing that. It's working. It's working. Oh, to so, this day, yeah. that remains my favorite picture of the two of you because I thought it was just this beautiful moment you were escaping just to be. <laughs> and we were. <laughs> just to be alone and to let my bladder work the way that it actually needed to. <laughs> so what about your talks? And, and you know, we can't talk about, I mean, we're going to interview a few other people. Alexandria is going to be on here. Ken's going to be on here. Um, so other conversations and connections and things that you want to bring up that you feel like you can. So briefly, um, I think that we all probably found this out as uh, Gil alluded to earlier was that I'd be walking along the road and um with someone you'd never talk to. And all of a sudden their whole life story would start opening up in front of you. And it's this door that opens in a safe way to be able to, to share those um, really special and challenging and hard moments of people's lives. And then after the conversation, having people say, you know, I really haven't talk to people about that much and and i'm going wow and i've known you for the last 25 minutes it's astounding how every foot that sets itself on the ground on that journey on that pilgrimage is just a new step to a new conversation and a new um revealing of people's lives that no one gets out of this world without challenges and without problems and without difficulties it's just how bold are we to step forward and um show some of our really raw true self that's hard yeah well, conversations don't take place just on the trail i mean one of the great things too was afterwards you know during dinner after dinner much later after dinner i mean literally one night i didn't get to bed until 2 30 and mm -hmm. we were up at what six six fifteen and uh you know, just, and, and that would go on, you know, several nights in a row when we were in Lugo and just, just late night conversations where people, where you have that same comfort level of just talking and sharing. So it was pretty incredible. Yeah, it was, I mean, there were so many incredible moments and I know Kathy, sometimes I'd look back and you were walking along with one person and it was, just a very raw, emotional, and, and really a spiritual journey, even when it's shared with one other person. 
And these stories that would come out of, um, I'll say both of us, because you're with just the one at the time, you were never surprised. You, you, you knew it was like therapy and we were helping each other. And this could go on for hours. And, you know, those are, those are experiences. It goes back to life changing. You're not going to walk down the street here, wherever you're here may be. And all of a sudden start talking to a stranger about things that you wouldn't share with anybody else. You know, I mean, it, it, this is what the Camino allows you to do. Yeah. You know, and not only that, it's not just with our group. So I was with one of the pilgrims on the trip at the um, uh, midday. And as we, we were at the tail end of the group at this point, and as we were walking up, we saw a guy on the side of the road that had come and joined our group. And his boot was off and he was clearly in pain. And we, this friend that I was with said, hey, looks like he's in pain or needs help. Can we go over? I said, sure. So we went over and we took off his sock that was so moist and looked at his feet and they were in the worst condition. And it was, the, it was like living the Good Samaritan story. And we took those blisters that were so bad and we powdered his feet and dried them off and, and, and bandaged these wounds that were so bad. And we slipped back on that sock. I wish I had a drier sock and put it, the boot back on. And we had, you know, I'm at the tail end with one person, but when we left, now we're a group of three and it stayed that way for the rest of the day. So it's not just people we know that are in our circle. It's, it's the other pilgrims on the journey right. teach us the life stories about honestly, what, what being a, a real, um, a true pilgrim means. Yeah. Playing off of, of Kathy's experience with, um, pilgrims outside of our own group, there was an amazing experience in Conway. You wouldn't have necessarily experienced it like we would because you were part of the reason why this was so, people were so much in awe. And it's when we had to cross that one, I wouldn't call it a river, that one creek. And there was no wheelchair except Donna who was going to get across that little bridge. Yeah, so Otome has his hands up, but I was going to say, Help me with the facts there, because I know that it was Aaron that carried me across, and I have no strength to hang on. So he somehow, either with the help of you guys or, I mean, this is what I need to know. I was balanced on his back, and he's hunched over walking across this tiny rock bridge. I know that much from the picture. Um, and from how sweaty he was <laughs> and I'm leaning against him. So I remember that very vividly, but I don't, I don't remember how it all exactly happened, which is what you're talking about. Well, we were trying to figure out how to get you across because your wheelchair is a little bit wider than the others and, and a little more awkward maybe to try to handle. Cause they just kind of carried a couple of wheelchairs across. I don't remember exactly how they got uh, Justin across, but they, you know, they lined up in the Creek along the side and they kind of lifted and moved him, you know, another great teamwork kind of thing. Um, for with you, we talked about various options and Aaron's like, I can just carry you. And yeah. so, yeah, we just got you up on his back and he, you know, had your legs and you had your arms draped around his neck and, we have the photographic evidence. So 
and and Molly's in back in the picture and, and somebody's walking alongside. So I figured there were two people alongside at that point. But yeah, I imagine, Gil, that would be a pretty powerful thing to come across on the trail and see. So, well, and there was the one experience. And yes, there was also the one with Donna who was she was going to do this on her own. Yep. So, Susan, I think I sent that video to you. You did, yeah. She was in a wheelchair, like a pump sort of wheelchair. Where they call that a grip wheelchair. So she had her arms are strong enough that she can pump her chair to propel it forward. And she was in this deep mud, just figuring out which arm and how to turn and how to get through it. And and we were all all yelling out because you know we wanted to make sure she was taken care of and she yelled out everyone be quiet i'm trying to concentrate and we just stopped you know so that she could she was in a tough situation right at that moment and she, and she needed that and that was our support to her it just went quiet as she got there and there was somebody behind her the whole way who was like, I, I'm here to help. And she's like, no, I don't want any help. And he was there inches away in case she tipped back. And that was part of the, the drama. It was like, don't touch her, don't touch her. She'll go crazy. I want to do this by myself. And he was perfect the entire time. He was just there if it went bad. And it didn't. And it was the whole thing. Um, you know when you get the chills? Literally, your body goes cold. And before we went across and we were trying to figure out what you were going to do, and then Donna's like, no, I'm doing this on my own. And the creek was not a really a big problem. It was a sandy, gravelly bottom. But there was that big mud pit in front. And her simply saying, I'm going to do this, I went cold like that. And it happened again after she finished. Um, and it was that just, I mean, it was a, a standout moment. And when she was stuck in the mud and it was like, it's not going to work. And then you could see about an inch, literally, not figuratively, literally about an inch and then another inch. And that's when she was telling people, be quiet, be quiet. And then it, as she got near the end, I don't know if you remember, but there was a lot of tears shed. Yeah. They got across. Yep. It was incredible. Yeah, it's a two minute and 45 second video. And if you just started watching it, you'd almost get bored because you like, well, this is, you know, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. But the power is, was being there in the moment. And even watching that video, you can get that. It's like nothing, nothing, nothing fractionally. And then the moment of trade. Right. Yeah, it was very, very powerful. I would tell people that four of the toughest people I ever met were on that trip. And it was the, the four women in the in their chairs who did that also made the whole Camino easier because they did so much of their own work. Um, they didn't need to be pushed in right. much a little, but they were just they were incredible. So talking about these four wonderful ladies and how powerful they were, um, there were points where we were on paved roads. And, and at that point, of course, there's vehicles. And, and what we learned to quickly do, because we're spread out, we could be spread out over a mile. I mean, this is a big difference. And you'd yell out car, and then that would, then people would look, and then you'd yell out to the group in front of us. So there's, there's some folks in front of me and behind, I'm, kind of, I'm not sure where you were at the point. 
Um, and I heard him say car and I turn around, I look, there's one coming up, it's a ways back. I yell it out for the people in front of me. And right then, one of the Amy's comes flying by in her wheelchair because we're going downhill and she's just a free spirit. And, and everybody had moved over because of the car. And then I had to yell out, no, really, there really is a car. But what I loved it, that wasn't the only experience with, with one of these four wonderful women, just, just having fun and just yeah. doing it on their own. I mean, it, you know, it, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah. At our celebration meal, a woman stood up, and I don't have permission to say who that woman was because um, I haven't gotten a chance to ask her. I'm sure she'd say yes, but I just I don't want to mention her name because when she was talking, uh, I didn't get that much opportunity. So you'll have to share how much opportunity the three of you had to communicate with her during the Camino. But being trapped in the chair, it was really about, you know, who was pushing me, who was walking by me. I didn't have the choice to, to talk to whoever I got to talk to. And so she stood up and she started talking and then she was crying immediately and talking about friendship and then turned to the three of us, meaning Gil, Toma, and myself, and talked about how beautiful it was to see old men, <laughs> men of our age or whatever she said, who had been friends for 45 years, even though, you know, there were some time gaps in there when we were raising children and different things going on that we didn't communicate as much. But, um, you know, she was just sobbing. And then my eyes started welling up. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm like, holy cow, I hardly got to speak to this woman. And she was so overwhelmed to see three guys that could say, I love you to each other, to hug each other, to laugh at each other, to harass each other, to take pictures of each other. Uh, particularly when I was sleeping. Um, uh, but, you know, so that was the very last day that we were all together. But um, I was overwhelmed by that. How did you guys feel about that? So I was fortunate, I probably, uh, uh, Tom and Kathy were as well, to spend time with her. And yeah, it was, it was uh, a very sincere and inspiring comment that she had made and i think that many of us felt the same way yeah yeah i mean i definitely welled up and i don't cry that often did you cry toma um uh, i i don't think so but uh <laughs> <laughs> she actually mentioned when we were at dinner she mentioned it across the table to me uh so i was surprised though when she stood up and said the same thing to everybody but I sat right next to her. As a matter of fact, she was so emotionally moved. I took her hand and it was amazing. Her entire body, you could feel the, the, the sobbing even through her hand. It, yeah. it was profoundly moving to her. And it was right. very obvious and she, she didn't try to um, gloss it over with anything but sheer emotion. Right. It was really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It was just over powering to um i mean that brought the depth to me 
to our friendship and how much I love you both and how much I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for supporting me. And um, thank you for being brothers. And I don't mean fraternity brothers. You know what I mean by that. So one of the ironies, I suppose, is that we really had largely lost touch. I mean, it was Christmas cards and, and whatnot, but um, it was a phone call in, I'll just say November of 2016. Hey, Toma, I'm coming out to visit my mom in Salem. I'll swing by, but you need to know um, I've got this medical condition and now I'm, I'm spastic and I drool a lot and I don't have, uh, you know, I, and I stumble. And, and my comment on the phone was, and that's different from college, how? Mm. <laughs> and that kind of kicked it off. And then, hey, we need to hunt up Gil and, and one thing to the next. And then they flew out and we went back down to U of O together and over to the coast, at which point we drank whiskey and tequila and smoked cigars in freezing cold weather at night watching the waves come in. And then a year later, we were in Newport. Nothing like the Oregon coast. And then we were with you in Philadelphia in 21. Well, I love you guys very much. I want you to know love that. Love you. And you were um, amazing that you got past my craziness of asking you to push me 500 miles. And um, this turned into something spectacular one last thing which is that you know you would always say thank you and other people said thank you and, and people would say what a nice thing we had done um we never would have had this experience if you hadn't asked and and then, and then the other thing is as you said when we first thought of going you were in much better shape and um for you to be willing to go when your body feels like it feels and make this thing happen when it looked like it just wasn't going to happen. When you said we need to go now, I won't be able to go a year from now uh, and still do it. Um, so the thanks is to you. Well, and, and, and to Patrick and, and to Justin who yep. have made this possible. Uh, and I, I don't know what the other Caminos are like, but this one was incredible. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Until next time, live well. Mm -hmm.